0: Welcome to rhetoric O'Rama, a podcast about all things rhetoric. Here are your hosts, Dr. David R. Dewberry and Dr. Tim, as seen on TV, McGee.
1: I'm Dave. And I'm Tim.
0: In our last episode, we concluded Season 1 of rhetoric o but we want to offer you some extra bonus content. So we continue discussing the wonderful world of rhetoric. In this episode, we focus on Aristotle's thoughts on organizing a speech with some insights from the anonymous author of Rhetoric Ad Herennium*. Before we get started, let's hear some untranslated Latin or Greek.
1: Pecunium dare, nos postulo casium et quibum.
0: I hope our listeners take that to heart.
1: It makes me hungry.
0: It does. All right, Tim, what does Aristotle tell us about speech organization?
1: He says you should state your case and prove it, facts and arguments. In Book 3, Section 13, Aristotle tells us that textbooks and others make ridiculous divisions.
0: They make a lot of ridiculous things in those textbooks, don't they, Tim?
1: And I'd say he's not the only person to complain about textbooks.
0: I think that's the nature of mankind.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: But he clarifies that theres it's a little more nuance than he suggests than uh, uh, state your case and prove it. He says there's about four steps or four sections of a speech. The first part is called... Uh, A prologue, or at least the translators call it a prologue. We might call it an introduction of some sorts. Mm -hmm. Sets the tone. Directs the attention of the audience. Mm -hmm. Establishes goodwill with the audience. Mm -hmm. And Aristotle gives a a number of strategies for these.
1: He gives you strategies for addressing audience prejudice or ill will towards the subject or speaker.
0: Now, Tim, you and I know, and our listeners know at home, that I prefer Cicero over Aristotle.
1: You do indeed. I'm not
0: saying Aristotle's a bad person. And, I'm just saying Cicero's a better person.
1: And and your fondness for the rhetoric, rhetorica ad herenium uh, sort of is connected to that, because for a long time people thought it was by Cicero, but now they doubt that.
0: Yeah, everybody doubts that. I'm saying it's Cicero, and you know what evidence <laughs> I have to say that?
1: What? None. Okay, None. well, it turns out the— um, what are those uh, translated the, the Loeb classics? They uh, categorize it under Ciceronian works.
0: It is, and it still matches his older works that we know is from him, mm-hmm. right? So why not?
1: All right. All right. Now,
0: so if you get a copy of that *Rhetoric Ad Heridium* by Cicero, you can. I say use that. You should always use that when you're thinking about organizing a text mm-hmm. or a speech, I should say, uh, because he gives some elaborate, nuanced rules and things.
1: Now, would these possibly be what Aristotle calls ridiculous divisions?
0: I don't think they would be called ridiculous divisions. He might call them ridiculous strategies, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think it's more clear, more mm-hmm. delineated, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I don't think it would be a division per se, but uh, he gives a lot of good strategies. I want to say there's over like 20 something. Yeah. Uh, he breaks them down by if you're well liked by your audience, you may mm-hmm. not even need to do this uh-huh. because they already like you. Uh, if you're not liked by your audience, he gives you strategies for that. And so that's very useful. You know, you're walking into a hostile situation. Uh, he gives you a number of strategies for that. How to win over a board audience, mm-hmm. which is what I call teaching, right? <laughs> and uh, he breaks all this down into direct and subtle approaches. And all of these, look at us. We're citing our sources today. Yeah. Book 1, Section 1 through 11 of Ad Herenium. All right. And so, Tim, I have come up with this idea called the golf Pencil Rule.
1: The golf pencil Have you heard rule? of this? Uh, no, but yeah. I like it already.
0: Yeah. You, uh, uh, you might have heard of this one. So when we talk about speeches and organizing speeches, a lot of people, they used to call it the, uh, what is it, the miniskirt rule, mm-hmm. right? You want it long enough to cover the important parts, mm-hmm. but short enough to keep it interesting. Yeah. But that's kind of sexist. Yes. So I like to prefer the term golf pencil. Yeah. Short with a point.
1: <laughs> right? Very good. Short with a point.
0: So that's, that's the first part of a speech is the introduction. Okay. Up next.
1: The narration. The narration. The background or info the audience needs in order to understand the arguments. If the audience knows the topic, uh, it may not be needed. And in Book 3, Section 16, Aristotle outlines different approaches to a deliberative, forensic, or epideictic speech. So each of these different kinds of speeches Mm -hmm. could ask for a different narration.
0: Yeah, we covered that in uh, previous episodes, each one of those. We did.
1: Adirinium offers much more detailed strategies in Book 1, Sections 12 through 13.
0: Not as many strategies for the introduction, but he offers a number of ways to approach it. Uh, But he is clear, whoever the author is, Cicero, uh, that expediency is the key, mm -hmm. right? Don't dwell here too long. So many times people spend so much time here at the sake of the rest of the speech. So once again, golf pencil.
1: All right. Now, I have a great fondness for what I like to call the narratio. Mm -hmm. And I think it is um, undervalued.
0: I believe I agree too. And
1: so I look at it as your first opportunity to say how it is that we got into this particular situation where we need to make a speech about something. Yeah. What do you Um, need
0: to know background-wise to understand the arguments? Right.
1: But now, I think naive people will think that, okay, the facts are just the facts. Just lay out the facts whereas there's a possibility that you choose when to start your background history. Uh-huh. Take, for example, the recent hostilities between the U.S. and Iran. Mm-hmm. So we're trading rocket attacks. Most people commenting on it recently would point to uh, sort of that period when um, the Iranians took 52 American diplomats and citizens hostage, held hostage for 440 days between November 1979 and January 1981. Uh-huh. But starting the backstory there leaves out the fact that in 1953 the CIA helped to orchestrate a coup to overthrow the democratically elected prime minister of Iran because he nationalized the Iranian oil industry developed by British Petroleum. Mm-hmm. So, which backstory do you give to the hostilities? Yeah, very controversial.
0: Well, it's I think you underscore the point here: is the narration isn't just the background facts you need to know. It's an argument in and of itself.
1: It is indeed.
0: Right? Uh, And the uh, example you point to, I've heard this called the punctuation of events. Oh, right? So, where does something start and where does it end? So if you get in a uh, fight with your, you know, significant other, you started it. No, you started <laughs> it by doing something before, yeah, right? Yeah. And so you try to punctuate exactly what yeah. happened.
1: And you you always run the risk of infinite regress. Basically, if we go back to that situation of Iran, we could point back to, you know, Darius of Persia and some uh-huh. of the things he did, you know, to the ancient Greeks. So you got to figure out where you're going to start this backstory.
0: You know where I think the entire uh, debacle between the United States and Iran started? When I should say Iran started. Uh, The Big Bang. The Big Bang. (laughs) You got a point there. Right? It's it's right there. Uh, We got the introduction. We got the narration. Uh, Now, Aristotle doesn't say this, right? This is where our good friend Cicero, in quotation marks, uh, offers us another section that Aristotle leaves out, and that's called the division. Indeed. Right? The division is where the person states their argument. Here's what we agree on. Here's where we disagree. And here are the arguments I'm going to make. Basically, in today's modern textbook language, the thesis and the preview points. Yes. Right. Uh, and I should point out to return to narration. Most contemporary textbooks don't even speak about the narration. They're
1: they're skipping something important. Right. And they're skipping something important.
0: And with the division, you know what the important thing is. What
1: golf pencil? Golf pencil. All
0: right. After uh, whether you do the narration and omit the division or include the division, next comes your arguments. Yeah. Right.
1: Here, you're going to lay out your arguments. Again, there are different approaches depending on whether a speech is deliberative, forensic, or epidictic.
0: And so uh, one thing that I found interesting when I first read the rhetoric at Iridium is he explains, the anonymous author Cicero, explains why there's three. Mm-hmm. Four is too hard to remember. Indeed. And three creates a pattern. Yeah. And so I always think back to those uh, jokes where, you know, a priest, a rabbi, and a football player walk into a bar, Uh-huh. right? The first one sets something. The second one creates a pattern. Yes. And the third confirms the pattern. Indeed. Right? And, and if so, you had
1: a fourth one, that would just be redundant.
0: Yeah, you don't need four, right? Four people would never walk into a yeah. bar. <laughs> Any more than three can overwhelm the audience. Mm-hmm. If you can't make your case with three arguments, you probably don't have a good argument i agree. And Cicero also tells us we should organize our points based on the weight of the argument. Yeah. Right? And I, thought, I found this really good because there's always, do you put the first strongest one first? Mm-hmm. Do you put the weak one last? Do you flip them around? There's so many thoughts. But he says, strongest first, second strongest last, and what do we put in the middle?
1: The weakest the one. The weakest,
0: but the, the weakest of the strong arguments, yeah. right?
1: Okay. And now, so there's a name for that. That's called Nestorian order.
0: How about the Nestorian order? Yeah,
1: and it's named after this guy Nestor. That makes shows sense, up.
0: because if it was named after, like, Bruce, it wouldn't make <laughs> no sense whatsoever.
1: He shows up in both the Iliad and the Odyssey. Uh-huh. And oh, he yeah, was, okay. And he was apparently a great speaker. He and was. so he gives several speeches that are fairly influential. Interestingly... Uh, his advice often ends up with sort of catastrophic results. Yes. So the, the content wasn't that good. But, boy, the way he arranged his stuff and made his points was really good. Yeah.
0: Now, you know, that, that brings up an idea for a future episode. Who's the better speaker, Odysseus or Nestor? Oh, yeah. Oh, don't. Let's <laughs> fight at that one. So uh, that's what arguments, right? That's what Aristotle says about arguments. Mm-hmm. Aristotle also says that you, in this section, the third section of your speech— If you're excluding division, Uh, the third section should be where you attack your opponent's arguments. Yeah. Right? Try to diminish those. Mm -hmm. Cicero, quotation marks with Cicero, would say that's a completely different section. Mm -hmm. Regardless, they both include it. Yeah. Right? And so, what are some ways that we can uh, attack our opponent?
1: Well, you could make your opponent look foolish.
0: Yeah. Sometimes you just need a mirror for that one. Right? So you can challenge their logic, uh-huh. you can say what they're advocating for is invalid based on ethical reasons, Indeed, make some emotional appeal why they're wrong, uh-huh. you can say their uh, uh, arguments are good, but they're yeah. just not adequate enough right. to do the job, uh-huh. or you can do my favorite. Refute by wit. Yeah, you can just make fun of them. Right? <laughs> That's just ridiculous. Yeah.
1: Now, basically calling them names, uh-huh. does that count as refute by wit or is that making them look foolish?
0: Uh, it depends on the thing, right? So I think a lot of people would know that if you attack a person in a debate, that's mm-hmm. a fallacy, right? Yes. An error in reasoning.
1: Argumentum ad hominem.
0: But there are some valid ways to attack a person in mm-hmm. a debate that yeah. are perfectly valid. Right. Uh, so for example, if you're saying that the president of an organization is incompetent, mm-hmm. they might be incompetent yeah. at being a president. Right. That's That would be valid. Right. Or if it was, I don't know, the dog catcher of the town. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they might be the same person. You don't know. Yeah. After the argument section, there's the epilogue. And what's the
1: epilogue, Tim? That's where you're gonna make the audience think highly of you, one way. Another is to make the audience think lowly of your opponent.
0: Yeah, trash talk the other guy and up talk you.
1: Yeah, so it's kinda like that, you know, tell them what you tell them and then tell them what you told them. So Uh to some degree you are recapping things that occurred in earlier portions of your speech. Mm
0: -hmm. You can uh, also uh, recap your arguments, Mm -hmm. right? Not just about thinking highly of you. Uh, but like you just said, you can put the audience in the right kind of emotion, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to get them all excited, this is a way to further pump them up. Yep. If you want to calm them down, yep. this is another chance to do that. Robert Kennedy did that well. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, when uh, Martin Luther King was shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, refresh the audience memory and all that kind of good stuff that you talked about. Now, here's why I love Cicero Quotation marks. He offers 24 strategies to do this. That's awesome. That's like a worksheet yeah. of awesomeness. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying Mark or Robert Kennedy went down a checklist of these 24 things and go, let's use number seven. They're just strategies observed. We got our sections of a speech the uh, introduction, mm-hmm. the background, the narration. Mm-hmm. We got the division, possibly. Yep. We have the arguments yep. where we attack, represent our arguments and attack the uh, opponent's arguments. Mm-hmm. And the epilogue, right? The conclusion. Yes. So, take home points. I say that the structure of a speech is a bit more nuanced than Aristotle leads us to believe, and it's different, uh, based on these sources, than what's being taught in contemporary uh, public speaking programs.
1: Now, my take-home point is that structure is very important because an audience of listeners really needs to have some structure in order to follow your argument if you have a written argument, they can always go back up to the top and Mm -hmm. figure out where they lost you. And so having this sort of explicit structure is uh, essential to the comprehension needs of your audience.
0: I love it. Tim. Okay. I got a challenge for you. Okay. Is there any way that you would ever rearrange the parts of this narration? Because it is a structure, Yes. but can we change that structure in any meaningful way?
1: Yes, and so I think um, the whole notion of a delayed thesis argument is an mm-hmm. example of that. So rather than, you, know, here's my thesis, and then I'm gonna support it. Sometimes, particularly if you have a hostile audience, you wanna conceal that to the end. Mm-hmm. So basically, if I'm gonna be sort of advocating uh, pornography to a group of, of feminists, I don't wanna kind of bring that out front, what I want to do is basically rearrange it so the first thing I'm doing is not making my claim and supporting my claim, but talking about the opposition. So I put the opposition argument first and tear it down Uh before I actually even reveal what my thesis is.
0: Nice, right? And so that's what uh, Cicero would say too, right? Sometimes you might have to start with a refutation, and then that, if you're going against a strongly held belief. Mm -hmm. Um, And also in your example, which is a good example is uh, you might reorganize your points differently. You may not put your strongest argument first, mm-hmm. or something like that, but you might start with the most accepted yes. argument and build to your least accepted, given that uh, mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. I would say my answer is the same answer as yours. I'm very impressed. Oh, right? We're on the excellent. same page. That's
1: excellent. Now, uh, I have a challenge for you, Dave, oh. and now you could answer this with respect to either your own speechifying practice uh-huh. or what you teach other stu- teacher students to do. Uh-huh. Do you make the divisions explicit? Do you basically say, having proven my point, I will now address my opposition, or do you not make so explicit the actual changes from one part to another?
0: Make sure I understand. Do I do I make the transitions clear between these steps? Mm-hmm. I say I teach them yes, uh, because I am a firm believer in here are the formal rules, mm-hmm. but speaking, oratorically giving away things. I was trying to be sound smart there. Um, there are no rules, but there are some guidelines Okay. and you should know the guidelines mm-hmm. and then you can deviate from that. Okay. Right. Uh, so if I had a great speaker in my class and they were well gifted, that's great. Mm-hmm. That's great. But I need you to know the basics before you can go on. Okay. It's almost like you can break the rules of grammar and writing mm-hmm. for some artistic effect, mm-hmm. but you have to know what those rules are in the Indeed. first place. Yeah. That's what I would say. Okay. Um,
1: we good? We're good.
0: Now it's time for the bonus content. Will it be a fallacy, a historical anecdote, or rhetorical device? Let's have Dr. Tim spin the wheel. <laughs> Looks like it's time for another historical tidbit.
1: Okay, I've got a sort of a historical anecdote, and it relates to the controversy over the Rhetorica ad uh As we have already mentioned, uh, Dr. Dewberry is a firm believer that this is a work by Cicero, but that wasn't the only controversial aspect of this text. It was one of the first ones that was teaching the art of rhetoric that was done in Latin. Previous to this, people who were studying rhetoric were studying it in Greek, and so the rhetorica ad was controversial, because there are some people who thought that since rhetoric is a political tool, It should be kept in the hands of the Greek-speaking upper class. So this could represent sort of one of the first times where we've opened up education to uh, a non-elite group and we're giving them a tool that previously had been reserved for a different class of people.
0: Before we go get some cheeseburgers, let's take care of some business. Tim, who's sponsoring this episode?
1: This episode is sponsored by Insurance Insurance. If you're like most people, you now own an ever-increasing number of insurance policies. In addition to car insurance, health insurance, life insurance, homeowner's insurance, you now have things like pet insurance, trip insurance. You even have insurance on your smartphone. And, like most people, when it comes time to make a claim, you find out that you weren't really covered because of some exception in the fine print. Your iPhone ten fell into the toilet, but unfortunately you were covered only if the toilet was in a men's or women's room, but you happened to be have been in a gender neutral bathroom. You thought your dream vacation cruise was covered against attack by pirates, but sorry to say, your ship was attacked by Somali pirates, and your policy only covered Caribbean pirates. Well, thanks to Mutual Benefit Indemnity's latest innovation, you can now purchase insurance insurance. Simply send us a copy of every insurance policy you currently hold, and we will craft a custom insurance insurance policy that will not only cover a portion of your deductible, but will cover every unreasonable exception to coverage found in your existing policy, all for a low, low fee. Plus, you don't have to worry about any small print exceptions in our insurance insurance because our entire policy is written in 14-point Times New Roman. We guarantee no small print anywhere on the contract. That's Mutual Benefit Indemnity's newest product, Insurance Insurance, for guaranteed peace of mind.
0: I'm David R. Dewberry, and that's Tim as seen on TV McGee. We're professors of communication at Ryder University, and this has been rhetoric O'Rama, a podcast about all things rhetoric. We'd like to thank our British voiceover artists, and we'd like to thank our musical director, Tom Santiago. Rhetoric-O-Rama is recorded at Casto Di Pato Studios. If you have any questions or are looking for more information, you can contact us via our website, rhetoric.fun, or consult your local library.